Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're going to be tossing tables this morning. Tossing tables. I don't know if that is spelt right. I, I don't know how to spell tossing. So, I, I wanted to spell it like East Texas spells it, though. That's, so, anyway, uh, we have been focusing the last week, started the month of November, focusing on revival. And I want to do that and continue that this morning. Uh, each week I will remind us of what we spoke about the week before because I believe these four messages that I'll be speaking about in the month of November, they complement each other. I want you to know it was not something that I was able to do. This is something the Holy Spirit put together when I was preaching at East Tempe Revival Services and I just I just couldn't believe how, how each one complemented the other and gave a strong, solid message as to what we need to hear today about revival. Last week I preached uh, a message and we focused on the birthmarks of Christianity. The birthmarks of Christianity. I'm going to test you this morning to see if you remember the birthmarks in which we spoke about last week. The birthmarks of Christianity. We talked about John, uh, I mean uh, Jesus as he went in John chapter 3, he went and and Nicodemus came to him at night, and this is what Jesus told him. He says, don't be surprised that I say that you must be born again in order to inherit the kingdom of God. So he tells him, that's the term that we focused on was being born again. Well, we understand when you are born again, things in your life change. Just like some people are born with birthmarks that identify them, when you are born again... You, you have identifying marks in your life that will show that people around you that you are a Christian. Just go shortly, quickly over these four birthmarks that we are identified with. The first birth, birthmark we talked about was what? Does anybody remember? Confession. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Bible also goes down in a couple of verses after that. He says, if you are a believer, you are unashamed. When you come to know Christ as your personal Savior, you have a confession. The second thing that takes place should be a birthmark in our life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us this. It says, if you are a believer, all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I want you to know if you accepted Christ as your personal Savior and there was not a change in your life, you need to examine your life to make sure that Christ is in your life. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, it tells us this. It says to examine yourself to see if you are of the faith. Listen, I'm not saying something the Scripture hasn't already said about your faith. Examine yourself. See if these birthmarks lie within you. The third, the third point, what was the third point? I didn't let you answer the Compassion. Listen, I want you to know there's a compassion that comes over you once you become a Christian, once that you that Christ comes and lives inside of you. I, I'm telling you, things change about you. Somebody that you held a grudge against, all of a sudden the spirit inside of you convicts you and shows you 
a love for that person that you never experienced before. You begin to have compassion for people who are sick, compassion for people who are lost. You look at them in a different way, and it's because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. These things are birthmarks of us being born again. What was the last one, the fourth one? Conduct. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, and like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk, listen to this, in the newness of life. Things change about us. As a born-again believer, we should have these birthmarks evident in our lives. Now, this is the reason as I present this as a, at a revival service or a revival message, we as Christians need to examine our lives and see how evident these birthmarks are in our lives. If some of these birthmarks have lost their emphasis in our lives, that's what revival is all about. Hey, let's be revived. Let's look at what, what we need to do to change this. So message number two in our revival series is this. If for some reason we look at the birthmarks in our lives and they're not as evident as maybe they used to be, or they're not evident in our life like they should be as a born-again child of God, then this message this morning will help you renew that will help you focus on that and get these things back. So that's where we're going to take our focus this morning as we continue to focus in this revival message. This is, this is, uh, this is the way I made this statement concerning this. Now, I want you to know, I, I made this statement, I wrote this down in my notes two or three different times, and I kept going back and revising the way I made this statement. So listen to how this statement is made and then examine this as we continue in the next few minutes. The things we have accumulated over the years in our hearts since the day we became a part of the body of Christ or since we've been saved. We need to examine the things that we have accumulated into our hearts. Now, did, did, we, did we catch that? Because I want you to know, when you are a born-again child of God, and we're going to examine this in just a few minutes, we're going to see that sometimes things accumulate in our lives that are not necessarily bad things, but they get in the way of the things of us letting our birthmarks or letting our light shine, they get in the way. Okay? So what we want to do, we have accumulated things sometimes in our lives. We're fixing to read in Mark chapter 11, we're fixing to read when Jesus goes and presents himself or he comes and he examines the temple of God, he's going to see in the day that he entered in the last week of his life, he's going to walk in and it says he's going to look around and I want you to know they've accumulated some things in the temple that he basically says, this temple is completely and totally ineffective and will never, ever be used again to win people to Jesus Christ. 
So I want us to see this. I want us to see this. And then we'll return back to this question in just a few minutes as we examine this. So look with me in Mark chapter 11 and verse number 1. Mark chapter 11 and verse number 1. This is the Sunday prior to the week that Jesus will be crucified. So this is what we call Palm Sunday or the triumphant entry. And let's look and see what takes place on this day. Now, if, you've looking, if you would look back uh, in chapter 10, you're going to see that this has been a long day for Jesus. As a matter of fact, he starts his day off in Jericho. He meets Zacchaeus. He, blind, he heals old blind Bartimaeus. He's about 18 miles from Jerusalem. And as he is transversing his way, we know those stories of what takes place. He comes into Jerusalem or just outside of Jerusalem late that evening. Notice what Jesus tells them to do. And when they came nigh unto Jerusalem unto Bethanage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples. And he said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as you have entered into it, you will find a colt tied therein. Never man hath set. set. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you do this? saying to them that the Lord hath need of him, straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and they found the colt tied by the door, without in a place where two ways met, and they loosed him. Certain of them that stood thereby said unto them, What do ye, loosening the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they cast their garments on him, and they sat upon him, and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees, and strode them in the way. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed, he, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David, and cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, We've set the stage for what's fixing to take place. Again, I've just mentioned that Jesus has had a long day. He has traveled 18 miles that day. And now he comes to the end of his journey. He is headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. As he gets into Jerusalem, he mounts this colt, and as he is walking in, he comes in in the triumphant entry. Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. All of these things are being said about him. I stopped before I got to verse 11 because this is what takes place. This is not recorded in any of the other Gospels, but this statement tells us what happens that evening. Listen to this. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the evening tide was come, and he went out into Bethany with the twelve. Jesus comes in at the very end of the day, in the evening tide. I imagine it was getting close to dusky dark. And when Jesus came in to the temple, this is what he done. I, I, I can imagine. Picture in your mind as Jesus walked in the back of the temple, understanding. Now, I got out here and I walked all of this out this morning. Let me describe to you the inside of that temple that he entered into. The temple was 36 feet wide. Now get this picture in your mind. 
this sanctuary is 40 feet wide. So just short of the width of this, Jesus walks in the back door and it's got two big openings on either side of the temple. This is the inner court or the outer court of the temple. And as he walks in, he is seeing things inside this temple that have been accumulated over the years. That have been accumulated inside this temple over the years that maybe at one time no one would have put in the temple, but as they were put in, people got accustomed to it, so they just left it. Things began to accumulate. Now that temple, that temple was 105 feet long. Now, if you look at the back of our sanctuary, and if you were to extend our sanctuary out about another 30 or 40 feet, about 10 feet past the flagpole out there, that's how long the temple was. The last 30 feet of this temple, it was a 30 by 30 by 45 feet tall was the inner sanctuary. You know what was inside that inner sanctuary? We call it the Holy of Holies. There is a veil that separates this outer court where the people are, they've got tables set up and they've got different things set up. There's a difference between the outer and the inner sanctuary. The 30 by 30 place here is the place that represents the very presence of God. Now I want you to describe to you when they were building the temple in Solomon's day. Let me give you some of the description that they used when they were building that temple. It said the intersection was 30 feet by 30 feet by by 45 feet high. It said he overlaid the inside with pure gold and he also overlaid the altar of cedar which inside that inner sanctuary was a two foot by two foot by three foot long which was called the altar and it's, or the Ark of the Covenant was the same thing that they cut. It was also covered with gold. Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold and extended gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary which was overlaid with gold. He overlaid the whole interior with gold. He also, with gold, covered the altar and the belongings of the inner sanctuary. Now, wait a minute. Let me watch this. When Jesus walked in the back of that sanctuary and he began to look at the back of that temple, he began to see the things inside this temple area. He did not see inside the Holy of Holies, but Jesus knew exactly how it was laid out in there. As a matter of fact, he knew that inside there, this Ark of the Covenant where the, the offering of the blood sacrifice was brought once a year, over that altar stood two cherubim, angels, that had a spread, their, their wing spread was 15 feet wide on this side, 15 feet wide on this side, and they extended up above the altar, which were also covered in pure gold. And I want you to know that place represented the very presence of Almighty God. That is the place that the Holy Spirit, in sense, dwelt, and that was the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in the nation of Israel's life. That's what it was. That represented the very presence of God. Now what? This is what Jesus done. When Jesus walked in the back of that temple area, the Bible says he stopped, 
and he looked around. Now, does anybody know what happened the next morning when he came back? That's why we titled this message, Tossing Tables. Because when Jesus walked in and he began to look around, I believe an anger, righteous anger, began to swell up into Jesus. It was not a sinful thing, but when he began to look at what they took, the very presence of his father had established and said, look, this will be the place that worship will take place. This will be the place that honor will be given. This is where the very presence of the Holy Father exists. They have changed everything around about it. As a matter of fact, this is what they had taken and used the temple for. They have taken the temple and they began to use the temple for their own benefit. The focus was no longer on who was in the place, but how can I uh, 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 better myself because of this place? God was no longer the focus in the temple. As a matter of fact, look with me in verse number 12. I, I love preaching this message on the fig tree. I, I don't think many people recognize the meaning of what's taking place when Jesus says this in verse number 12, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves... He came, if happily he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Now, I think we need to identify this. From a great distance off, Jesus looked and he saw that that was a fig tree, and that fig trees carry fruit. And it says there that he went to get fruit from it. Did you notice what it says? For the time of figs was not yet. It was, figs were not in season yet. But Jesus said this, And Jesus answered and he said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Jesus cursed the fig tree. Jesus cursed the fig tree. Why did Jesus curse a fig tree that you could recognize that it was a fig tree? And he said, but this fig tree will never, ever bear fruit again. I want you to know he is not talking about the fig tree. He is talking about the temple. He went in, and I want you to know the temple painted a picture of what a relationship with God is supposed to be. There is supposed to be worship taking place. There's supposed to be honor. There's supposed to be respect. There's supposed to be glory. There's supposed to be singing hallelujah chorus in the place of this temple. But he says it is ineffective and this temple will never bear fruit again. So he gave us an object lesson and he went and he said this fig tree will never bear fruit again. And the fig tree withered and went away. Now understand this. Does Jesus know what's fixing to take place that week? Absolutely he does. He is fixing to give his life. And that temple will never ever be a place where people come and assemble themselves in order for salvation to change people's lives because 
that temple is now going to be translated to where? To us. That temple now is fixing to be translated through the power of the Holy Spirit is no longer going to, uh, to reside and dwell inside a physical building that men make, but that Holy Spirit is now fixing to dwell and live inside of mankind who invite him to dwell inside of that presence. So when we look at this place, when we see the place that he, was, he has presented, that people are supposed to honor, and the presence of God dwelt in that place, the Spirit of God was supposed to be there. When Jesus realized the place had been made a place of business and not a place of worship, that's when we read that Jesus came in and he began to toss the tables. Well, I, I hadn't read that yet, have I? Look what what it says there in in, uh, verse number 15. After he had cursed the fig tree, and they came to Jerusalem, Jesus went in the temple and he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and of the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple, and he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves. Now, uh, let let me focus on that point for just a second. This place had lost all kinds of respect and honor that it desired. People had made this a place of business and not a place of worship. If you remember, I mentioned on both sides of the the outer sanctuary were two huge doors where they would serve inside the temple. What the people had began to do, instead of walking around the front of the temple, they just started cutting through the temple. They just started taking their goats and their cows, and they just walked through the temple like it was nobody's business. I mean, they were taking shortcuts. The temple meant nothing anymore. This Jesus saying the temple is ineffective. This place will no longer produce fruit. I don't even know if I should mention this. Listen. I had someone mention this to me the other day, and and, and I don't want them to think that I'm saying this as a result of what they mentioned to me. Okay? Tradition has been taught that you are not to sell anything inside the the foyer of the church or around the church. Okay? To make the church a place of business. And I want you to know there are companies out there that call me several times a year wanting to make take the congregation that I oversee and make, make this a place of their context and to reach you for a part of their business, I do not allow it. I do not allow it. But do let me say this. When a missionary comes, and, and we're going to have a couple of people this here tonight, if they come and they set up their projects out there that, that they are using to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, 
There is nothing wrong with that. Let me say that loud and clear. There's nothing wrong with that. This scripture does not identify that. This scripture is identifying people taking advantage of the situation here and using it for their own personal honor and glory. Praise God that when, when um, what's the lady? Sherry Avery comes. That she has things out there that, that the people that she served makes and we buy them from her so she can take that same money and go back into ministry and promote that use for those people. That is not for her honor and glory. That's for the honor and the glory of all, Almighty God. That's what that is. So don't let that be a, a stumbling block to us. I'm telling you, as your pastor, I'm protecting you from the ones that would want to devour this congregation financially. But we ought to lift up and, and praise and honor God. Because there was a lot of activity that was supposed to be taking place inside that temple that was being replaced by evil, greedy whoremongers. And that's when Jesus come in and says, this ain't right. Okay, I'm, fi I'm fixing to get to a, to a real strong point here. I believe we reverence this sanctuary and listen, and we should treat this area right here where we worship an almighty God differently than we do our homes, even our Sunday school classes. I do. I believe that we should. But listen, this, this place is not the place that we worship. This is not where God abides. And let me say this real loud and clear. Sometimes we as God's people will reverence this place more than we reverence the temple where God truly exists. Did you hear that? Let me bring this point real evident to you. John chapter 14 and verse 17 says, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Oh, my, oh here, let me say this one. Romans 8 and 9 says, be, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of, of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Oh, my goodness. Keep in mind, did you hear when Moses, or, or when, when uh, Solomon described the innermost sanctuary? That 30 by 30 by 45, every bit of it was covered in gold. The cherubs were covered in gold. The ark of covenant was covered in gold. If you were to take and make a price on that today, that one single room was worth trillions of dollars. Did you hear what I said? Trillions of dollars. Where God, His Holy Spirit abided. Now, did you look at yourself. Do you know what God thinks of your worth? You are worth an unspeakable amount of, of, of value 
Because God has chosen you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has chosen you to put His Spirit inside of we are now the temple. Hey, hey, listen, that's good news. We are that temple. Oh, my goodness. No one would even think about coming into this sanctuary that we have right here and curse or tell a dirty joke or do things that are unpleasing to God. We would never think twice about it here, but we will take this temple out into the world and we don't think anything about. Listen, the temple is not here. If you want to reverence a place, reverence this place more than you reverence this place. I would not even think about it. And you know I like using object lessons. But I would not even think about bringing a, 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 a bottle, an empty bottle of whiskey in here or something. I wouldn't even think about it because I think it would be disrespectful to this building. But I'm telling you, this building has of no value. The temple lives inside of each one of us. Who do we recognize that? Now, if you'll remember, back in September, I preached a message about Hezekiah. When Hezekiah, when he received uh, the kingship from his father, Ahaz, when he received that kingship and he went into the temple and he looked, King Ahaz had, he had just put everything in there that pleased anyone in the kingdom. They put it in that temple. And when Hezekiah came, he says, man... This place is cluttered with ungodly things. It is time to get those things out. When Jesus came to the temple, he said there's some ungodly things taking place in this temple. It is no longer productive. It's time to clean house. It's time to clean house. The Bible says... In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, it tells us what cleanses that temple, what makes it holy, is not anymore the gold or the silver that they used. The temple that we're cleansed with, for as much as you know that we are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by the traditions from your fathers, but we are cleansed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or spot. The most precious thing in all the world that has ever existed on this world is the blood of Jesus Christ that was given for our salvation. That is what we should honor. That is what we should worship. That is what we should pay reverence to is what has taken place to cleanse our souls of sin. Now let's go back to that statement that I made at the beginning. I want us to examine the things that we have accumulated over the years in our hearts since the day we became a part of the body of Christ. In other words, when we were saved. Let me ask the question. Back to that first message. We should have birthmarks 
that we're born again. We should be the salt and the light of the earth. Is there anything that we have accumulated inside our lives that is hindering that from taking place? We need to clean the temple. It may be, hey, hey, and I understand this, it may not be that we have things inside our temple that are bad. We've just got priorities on those things out of place. We've just got them out of place. So when we examine this morning our hearts and our souls, many of us can sit here, and I think the majority of us can sit here and say this morning, well, I know Jesus Christ in, in a personal way. I can tell you the time that I accepted him. I can tell you the time. I remember the change that took place in my life when the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in me. But over the years, maybe we have accumulated some things. Maybe we have quit making Jesus the priority. Maybe we've quit making His Word a priority. Maybe we've quit making prayer a priority. If you want to have revival, we need to stand at the back of our temple, right here, at the back of our hearts, and examine what we've accumulated. It may be we need to rearrange some of those things. Second Chronicles. I want to read this to you. This is when King Hezekiah was examining the 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 temple that he had uh, uh, inherited from his father. And Second Chronicles twenty nine verse three it says. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired it. He recognized something wasn't right. The first thing he done, he began to repair it. And he brought in the priest and the Levites and gathered them together in the east street. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify yourselves. Set yourselves apart for the work of the Lord. I'm afraid this is what's happened over the years. Our generations and our society has taught you and me that our purpose on this world is to, I don't know, please ourselves, get a good job, go to college, make a living, support your family, accumulate wealth and things. I want you to know that's what our society has taught us, especially in America. The most productive country in the world. That's what our society has taught us. Do you know what the Scripture teaches us? The Scripture teaches us that God created you for one purpose, and that's to honor Him. If you want to know what your purpose is, that's what your purpose is. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 tells us that, that Jesus Christ created all things. All things were created by Him and for Him. That includes every single one of us. If you, if you want to have contentment in life, put Jesus and your relationship with Him first, and you're going to find out what purpose and contentment in life is all about. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and what? All these things 
shall be added unto you. Jesus walked in, he examined the temple, and he said, there's some things that have accumulated in here that need to be gone. We need to examine ourselves and see what we've accumulated over the years. Let's stand together. Father, I want to thank you for laying on my heart this revival series. For you have asked me to examine myself, and put the things in order that I'm supposed to put in order. God, as we come this morning, just like we are, you tell us that you'll take us right where we're at. God, you will mold us, you will shape us. God, I'm praying this morning we are willing to rearrange those things that we've accumulated over the years. We desire to honor and to glorify you, to make our bodies a place that is reserved for you place of worship, a place of honor, a place of respect. We recognize this morning that we are your body, that we are your temple, and we thank you that you've chosen us. Use this time this morning and this invitation that we might respond to your message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You respond.